Faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall gender stereotypes in a single bound, you're listening to God in Comics. And it is New Comic Book Day, Wednesday, November 11th, 2015. On today's show, Supergirl. We talk about the major hit new series from CBS. We'll talk about what we like about the show and what we don't like about the show. We'll talk about the DC Comics character upon which the show is based. And we will finally answer that pressing question, who would win in a fight, Supergirl or the Dancing Baby from Allie McBeal? I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin, Rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm from Christ Church Cooperstown in New York. And also on the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Without any further ado, why don't we jump right into our recommendation? And at this point, I'm not really sure. We went back and forth so many times, I don't remember who has it. So, uh, But I know it's I, not me. <laughs> Father Matt does. Father Matt. Take it away, Father Matt. Yeah. I want to recommend the latest collection from Adrian Tomine. It's a graphic novel called Killing and Dying. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a collection of about six stories that were uh, originally published in, or at least some of them were originally published in Tomine's uh, self-published series, Optic Nerve. Adrian Tomine's known for his work on Optic Nerve. He's also, he's also become a person of note from his illustration work in, in The New Yorker and from several graphic novels that he published recently, among them Shortcomings and Summer Blonde, which got very favorable reviews in a number of uh, sophisticated sources like The New Yorker uh, magazine. But th- this one is, is his newest. Uh, it was just released this year. It's fantastic. There's not really a theme that I can notice that connects all the stories other than Tomine's usual gift for for telling slice of life kind of stories. Um, And and I I won't talk about each story, but I wanted to to mention at least uh, three of them. The first story, which may be my favorite in in the whole book, is called A, A Short History of the art form known as horticulture. I, I, I love the format that he used. I don't know if it, it looks like it was originally written as like a comic strip because it's, it's, it, it consists of um, like four panel kind of uh, self-contained uh, narratives. And every seventh is a full page color spread almost like it would be uh, published in the sunday paper so it it makes for an interesting way of breaking up the story and kind of a challenging way of telling the story you know it's sort of like writing a poem in in a form you know like a like a sonnet or a villanelle or something like that it adds an extra kind of challenge to the storytelling the story itself is really entertaining it's it's about this this guy he uh he's from you know, kind of a working class background, and he is a landscaper. He makes his living cutting lawns and trimming bushes and things like that. And uh, 
he gets he gets sort of tired uh, of his his work and is is sort of restless and he reads an article in a magazine by uh, by a, a, a Japanese uh, artist and, and he, he he gets this idea which he calls hortus sculpture and there are these sort of conceptual pieces that he makes they're sculptures and they grow vegetation and so um, someone would buy his sculpture and then pay him to sort of maintain it. And it, it's kind of an awful idea. The sculptures look really sort of, you know, bad. And uh, he doesn't have a lot of success marketing his new art form. At first, his wife is very supportive until she finds out that, no, in fact, he's he's trying to make his living entirely off of making these sort of sculptures. And, uh, and, and so he gets a lot of resistance from his wife and uh, his friends sort of make fun of it. The neighbors complain because his sculptures are an eyesore and he can't sell any of them. This is his story about his, you know, his struggle to, to promote his art. <laughs> another, uh, another story in the book is called Amber Sweet. This is a, a, a very poignant story. It's about a young college student whose life is sort of changed because she has she bears an uncanny resemblance to an online adult film star. And it shadows all her relationships with men. People come up to her on the street and they think she's this person. It's poignant because I think it really... It, it, it explores in a sort of telling way the way that the prominence of online pornography in our culture sort of shapes the way men see women and, and treat them mm. and, and, and the negative effects it has on the lives of women. All these stories are pretty brief. The story that the title of the collection uh, comes from, it's, it's called Killing and Dying. And this is about a young teenager, a young woman who is, she has extreme kind of like social anxiety. She's very awkward. She's kind of quiet, but she decides she wants to go into stand-up comedy. The story is kind of told, at least in part, from the point of view of her father, who I think has a similar kind of social anxiety and sees a lot of himself and his daughter and is sort of embarrassed by the whole thing. It's a story about her relationship with her father. And in the background, sort of in a very understated way, it's not even really mentioned explicitly, it's also about her mother's struggle with cancer. And, and that's sort of happening in the background of this whole story. Um, so it, it, it's, it's an extremely well-written very literate collection. Adrian Tomine's artwork is, is um, it's beautiful, but it's very simple. He has a kind of clean style. You know, it, it, in some ways it reminds me of uh, Daniel Klaus or, uh, or, or Hernandez from Love and Rockets. It has that kind of look to it. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely worth checking out. I think even if you're not a comic book fan, uh, this is this is a book that's worth reading. I think you'll 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 find uh, 
that it expands what you might have thought was possible in a, in a in a comic book form. It's it, it's it's really, it really has a more in common with literature or, or, or like an independent film. Well, thank you for that recommendation, <laughs> Father Matt. That sounds good. Uh, and now we'll uh, move to our main topic, which is Supergirl. So there's a, a lot that uh, that I want to say about it. This is a, a character that is near and dear to me. Uh, but I want to see what you guys think first. Let's just talk about the show first before we kind of move into um, some of the comic book background that, that people may be less familiar with if they're not comic readers. At the point when we're recording this, there have been two episodes that have aired, and I think all of us have seen both of those. So let's start with Father Kyle. What do you think, Father Kyle? I thought it was a very fun show. I mean, the show basically tells the story of uh, Kara or Kara Zor El. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. <laughs> Zor El, who is the cousin of um, Kal El, Superman, and um, she is sent in a shuttle behind his shuttle in an effort to um, send someone who might be able to watch over him as he grows up on the planet Earth. But she ends up getting stuck in uh, the Phantom Zone on her way there due to the force of the explosion of Krypton. And she doesn't get out of the Phantom Zone for a good 24 years, at which time she arrives at Earth, but she's still 13 years old, and Kal-El has now grown and so he sends her off to live with some uh, adoptive parents, uh, who I thought was fantastic that they had Dean Kane and Helen Slater. Yeah, um, that was super, great. So Superman from yeah. Lois and Clark and the Supergirl from the 1984 Supergirl movie as her parents. Yes. And um, and then she, uh, you know, she grows up and she decides not to use her powers at, for a long time until her sister is in danger in a an almost plane crash and um, she rescues her sister's plane. And then from that point on decides to use her powers for good to help other people. And that kind of becomes the unfolding of the story. I thought it was very, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. It's definitely had a television vibe, television type comic book series vibe to me. You know, TV's always got this, this slight element of, cheesiness to it that's uh mm -hmm. not quite like some of the feature films and i think this has it but i also find that a little bit endearing at times i was a big fan of lois and clark which i think had quite a bit of cheesiness to it in its own right um sometimes there's something nice about that uh so on a whole i thought i actually really enjoyed both episodes i'm kind of looking forward to seeing where it goes I felt uh, largely the same uh, that Father Kyle does, but I thought it was pretty fun. Um, it doesn't have the same kind of level of sophistication or grittiness that, say, the Netflix Daredevil series had. But you wouldn't expect it from Supergirl on CBS. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the whole Devil Wears Prada subplot that they have going. <laughs> Which I, I guess that's that's Ally McBeal, isn't it? The, the, Callista it Flockhart, is. yes, Callista Flockhart, who plays Cad Grant. Yeah, Callista Flockhart. Yeah, I found that sort of, I, I think, sort of an obvious kind of. You know, she's like a a bit of a dork, and she's like a small town girl, and she's trying to make her way in New York. Like, I, you know, I've I've seen a lot of. Oh, not there's a lot not of New stuff York, out father. there. 
Not New or, York. National City. National City. That's right. <laughs> which they made um, up for the which program. in itself, yeah. which in itself is a toss back to National Comics, because that was what DC was. Ah, oh, I hadn't thought I of see. that. I hadn't thought of that. I, I do, see. I do yeah. kind of wish they'd left it in New York, but yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, well, DC always has to have the imaginary cities, but um, but uh, I mean, there there are things I really like about it. I think it's pretty cool that they brought Jimmy Olsen into it, or James Olsen, as he is in the show. And and James Olsen, uh, Jimmy Olsen, who if if you've uh, been a fan of the DC Comics and Superman uh, for a while, Jimmy Olsen was is sort of uh, Superman's pal. He's sort of his dorky sidekick, a redheaded, freckled kid who's always getting into trouble. Well, James Olsen in, in Supergirl is much cooler. He's tall and he's like he's really ripped and you know, a very very handsome guy. They also made him African American, which I think was a a nice touch to add some diversity to the show. And he is sort of sent by Superman to sort of keep an eye on his cousin and sort of you know uh, make sure um, she's uh, has some guidance and, and some friends as she's as she's figuring out her identity. So I, I think this show's got some interesting supporting characters. Supergirl's adopted sister, I think there's a lot of potential with that relationship. Um, yeah, I mean, it does have a bit of cheesiness, but then so does Arrow, so does The Flash. You know, you kind of you kind of bear with some of that. Um, you know, it, it has, you know, a part... Part superhero, part television melodrama kind of thing going on. Uh, one thing I was annoyed by is that if you saw the the longer trailer for the first episode, you pretty much knew everything that was going to happen. There was no surprises. They basically summarized the whole show in, in, in the trailer. The second episode I found more entertaining, partly because... I didn't know what it was going to be. And I think they, they've, they're introducing some interesting villains and things like that. So, Well, I, I will say uh, there's a lot that I enjoy about this show, and that there are some things that I enjoy less about it. Let me just start by saying what I enjoy. A lot of it is the same thing that you guys have already said. It's fun. It, um, it is um, a different kind of energy than some of the other kinds of superhero programs that are out there there's a lot of darkness and grit that's out there right now but in the comic world as we've talked about in the last uh, couple years there's been a, a rebirth of fun and uh, i think supergirl uh, may represent some of that happening finally in in the television world that there'll be um you know uh, fighting crime while smiling uh, <laughs> And uh, just some, you know, some some good uh, energy that comes off of these sort of things. I think that the show is well cast, and especially Melissa Benoist, who plays Supergirl, who plays uh, Kara, is just fantastic. I can't, you know, not only does she fit the look of what you might expect Supergirl to look like, but... She just is so sincere in the way... So she's got to say all of these 
you know, cheesy things. <laughs> and, uh, and yet, but she sells them. Like you totally buy that she believes what she's saying when, you know, when she says it looks like this is a job for Supergirl or whatever it is. I actually do like the Cat Grant character played by Callista Flockhart. I think that in some ways she's the most interesting other character on the show. I find the male characters to be kind of boring, to be honest. Um, I mean, I get, you know, that James Olsen is kind of an eye, ca- eye candy character. I get that. <laughs> but uh, they, they just, they, they seem, at least at this point, they seem less developed. But that may change, uh, yeah. that may change over time. And frankly, considering the way this sort of thing usually goes, where all of the women on the show are completely underdeveloped, it, it's, you know, per- perhaps fitting that this uh, would happen in, in reverse um, in, in this particular uh, program. There were things that I was concerned about going in. As I said, Supergirl is a character that's near and dear to me, particularly Kara Zor-El Supergirl. Part of the reason for that is because I, I've always loved Superman. I think Superman is a fantastic character, but I've loved Supergirl as much as I've loved Superman, if not at times more. And I think part of the reason for that is because you know, her original incarnation, well, I shouldn't say that because there have been various versions of Supergirl, but uh-huh. um, the, the, the sort of original idea for Kara Zor-El, which is, which is played fairly uh, faithfully in the, in the show, is that, you know, she has a memory of Krypton. So her, her cousin, Superman, he came as a baby. He has to discover who he was, but he's basically a human being. Whereas for Kara, she can remember Krypton. She can remember experiences that she had there. And so the whole experience of being on this world is frightening in a completely different way and disorienting in a completely different way for her because this doesn't feel like home. And so it's kind of a, it's a, a different take on the whole outsider trope or the idea of the coming-of-age story where teenagers don't quite feel right in the world. And when I was uh, a young person who didn't quite feel right in the world, that made sense to me. I could relate to that. So I was, I was a little bit sad that they were going to lose some of that here. And I'm not sure whether they're going to play much with that or not. I mean, it is uh, awfully interesting and convenient, isn't it, that everybody on Krypton spoke English with a perfect American accent, um, and uh, yes. you know, and that, that all of her experiences um, uh, seem to be so easily fit into a, a, a modern American mold. Um, I, I I wish that some of that would come through. It might, you know, maybe they'll do something with it later, but uh, but I wish that it would. The other thing, oh. though, that concerns me well i'll I'll say this first i i do love the easter eggs and you guys have pointed out a couple of them the the dean king and um, all of those uh character things uh some of them were real subtle but they were amazing like for instance when she saves that plane one of the things that she has to save the plane from is it's about to crash into this bridge and the bridge i don't know if you guys caught this or not is the the auto binder bridge Otto Binder yep. being the guy who uh, essentially created the Kara Zor-El Supergirl. He writes the first Oh, okay, I missed that. In 1959. <laughs> he also, by the way, 
created the um, uh, extensions of the Marvel family, the Mary Marvel, Mary Marvel his creation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is apparently what he did: is he created uh, teenage girl versions of superheroes back in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miss America, right? Yes, the... yes, yeah, yes. that's right. Not the Miss America pageant, Miss America, but the um, Miss America, ver- the the uh, equivalent of Captain America, basically. So yeah, like there's the, the Easter egg stuff is great, and it really shows yeah. that even though they change things for TV, that they realize that this is coming from somewhere. And as a comic fan, I love that. Even though I know a lot of the audience isn't gonna necessarily get it, I love it anyway. Um, uh-huh. but, but the other thing that concerned me some is, so this, this show I think is aimed a little bit more at a younger audience. I get, I just get that impression. My wife and I were talking about this, that it just sort of seems like it's aimed at a little bit of a younger audience than even something like Arrow and the Flash are, which is fine, but there is an attempt at presenting a you know, a certain kind of um, feminist icon. And I get why they're doing that, because in some ways they kind of have to do that, right? Like, this is the first... It's not really the first uh, superheroine show, because you go back to the 70s Wonder Woman and so forth, but it's the first one in a very long time. And uh, certainly in our era, the first kind of female superhero franchise really i mean you know aren't even really movies at this point and so i'm sure they felt this weight of we have to present a kind of you know she has to kind of represent all women and girls and so forth basically my my worry is that you could have a flattening out that takes place here in other words, there's there's two kinds of, of ways of, of sort of presenting a feminist message. And one would be the message that says there's, you know, men and women are pretty much the same except for their plumbing. And so why are we even why are we even talking about this? And it's all basically interchangeable. And then the other version would be to say, actually, there are real differences between men and women. They are interesting just because there are real differences doesn't mean there cannot be heroes who are men and heroes who are women. That just becomes a part of their makeup. It becomes a part of who they are. And I've seen hints in this show of it going either way. Like it could go towards the the kind of latter way that says, okay, part of who this character is, is a, a young woman in the world. And so that's going to in some way, shape or form affect who she is as a hero as it should. But there have also been some indications of maybe we're going to go for the sort of flattening out model. Um, I think of that really popular clip that's been played a number of times from the first episode where she's complaining to Callista Flockhart's character, to Cat Grant, about being called Supergirl rather than Superwoman. And uh, Cat Grant gives her this off-the-cuff speech about how she's a girl and she's, you know, rich and hot and smart and all those things. And so really, you know, the problem is is with you. And I'm thinking, no, actually, the problem is with uh, the fact that you created a series about a character who was a girl and, <laughs> and now, you know, you're doing something different with it. Uh, but does this make sense, what I'm saying? Do you guys, you guys get what I'm getting at or am I just like totally off the rails here? 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I saw it too a little bit. I, I certainly didn't see it, I think, in the depth that you're seeing it. But I certainly noticed that Cat Grant and um, and Kara exchange about the girl. And then I remember thinking, because I watched both episodes back to back, and I remember thinking when the second episode came around, there was an instance that I can't fully recall at the moment where it seemed to go the other way. And I thought... Um, Cat Grant's character in that that exchange seemed to be giving sort of mixed messages almost. Right. Like she she you know said that it was okay to be a girl, but then in the next one she just seemed to go the opposite angle. Oh, I know what you're thing. talking about. Do you mean the part where she where she says to her, "Well, we have to basically expect more from her." Is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that was it. Which is like this is actually my problem with this being kind of hoisted onto this show, right? Like it would be ridiculous for us to expect this show to be the be all and end all of what a female hero can be, and yet right. there's a lot of pressure for that because it's the only one. This is always what happens, right? When you have a min- minority or you have somebody who hasn't been a voice that hasn't been heard before, there's all this pressure that when that voice finally emerges, it has to be perfect. Uh-huh. Um, and that can be uh, stifling and unfortunate. Uh-huh. I think that the Supergirl show will get, people will be a little more critical of of some of the, what, what we were talking about, some of the, the cheesiness of it, precisely because it's about a female character. Mm. You know, we've already said, well, you know, uh, Lois and Clark had a bit of this, uh, the Flash and Arrow and, you know, it's sort of par for the course. But I think with the Supergirl character, there, there's a lot more pressure for this to be like a great because it's the it's, you know, this is the one about the female character. And and, and are they going to screw this up? You know, are we finally going to get the, the great female character? I mean, and the fact is, it happens with comics, you know. Um, yes. There, there's been a lot of really cool comic books featuring female leads that just haven't made it because they weren't able to get the popularity or the sale that some of the male-led books do. You know, and, and it's it's always a struggle to sort of have a, have a female superhero get off the ground. Yeah, and you can look at how many times Supergirl's own comic has stopped and started if you follow the history of that. You know, they attempted to do a run that I think went maybe 12 issues or so in 1972, and then they picked it up again later on, early, early in the 80s, and it ran for like 24 issues, and then for a while in the 90s, and it never seems to be consistent in that regard. Well, so. can, can we take a moment and talk about how monumentally stupid it is that DC Comics does not have a book out right now with Supergirl on the masthead. I mean, that, yeah. just, that just seems yeah. like an idiotic decision in retrospect. I thought for sure when they ended Supergirl um, the beginning of this past summer, <laughs> Wow! I thought for sure it was because they were going to reboot her in some way once the show started, but that has not happened. In fact, the only thing that that they've done is uh, they reissued a cheaper version of the number one issue from the new 52 run of Supergirl, which was available the first week that Supergirl was on the air. But of course that's a series that's already, you know, finished. Right. I I just, I can't believe that they did that. I'm wondering if we could talk about, I mean, there's been 
There's been, uh, as Father Kyle mentioned, there's been many attempts at creating a series uh, for the, for Supergirl, and and there's been many versions of, of of Supergirl. You mentioned the the new Fifty Two version, which I thought was is really pretty cool. That I, I guess that's the latest one, which has been discontinued. But um, the version of, of of Supergirl that that I sort of remember most, I mean. I know I know the the Kara version of Supergirl from of course the movie the nineteen eighty four movie that I saw as a kid, which was really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for most of my youth, the sort of version of, of of Supergirl that was out there and existed was was quite different. The cousin of Superman w- was sort of wiped out of continuity for a while. With the with the crisis storyline, they eliminated all the extra Kryptonian. I think there was maybe a little, a bit too much uh, Kryptonian stuff out there, and they wanted to kind of wipe the slate for Superman. And John Byrne rebooted Superman and did a lot of great things with it. Um, you know, we I love the way John Byrne did Krypton. I mean, just to digress a bit. It really seemed like an alien civilization. Uh-huh. And it was very, it was really foreign and quite different. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that John Byrne did was he did reintroduce Supergirl. I think it was John Byrne, right? Um, he reintroduced yeah. Supergirl. It was a different kind of Supergirl. This, the, the story is kind of convoluted and it only gets more so. <laughs> um, it's, it's but, but he created. It's totally bizarre. Is what it is. Yeah, he he created this synthetic sort of like clone, like laboratory creation called the Matrix, you know, and that was Supergirl. She she sort of mimicked Superman's powers, you know. But of course, she but was female. But not entirely. She her powers not entirely. Were, her yeah. powers were similar, but they weren't exactly the same. She was strong, but she wasn't as strong as Superman. She had telekinetic powers that Superman uh-huh. never had. Um, yeah. But she looked, you know, she looked the part. Yeah. And she was built by Lex Luthor. Right. Yeah, or a, ver- a version of Lex Luthor, right? right. And, um, say, yeah. But then there was Peter David did some really great things with with that version of, of Supergirl. And I, I think he had like a, a run on Supergirl that lasted maybe 70, I think it was like 75 issues. And uh, I, it came out. I was. It was like the nineties or or, or yeah, 2000s. It, was in, it was in the nineties. It was in the nineties. It ran a while. You're right. So what he did does is is he takes the the Matrix Supergirl, uh, and this is again this is it gets more convoluted. And he reintroduces Linda Danvers. Now Linda Danvers was Supergirl's secret identity pre pre uh, crisis, right? Pre crisis um, on Infinite Earths. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. He makes her this endangered teen that gets sucked into this satanic cult by this character Buzz, who who's this, who you know comes across as this charming kind of guy. But Linda Danvers gets sucked into this cult, and she's not entirely innocent because she starts to participate in it, and they're they're involved in in human sacrifice and everything else. And Supergirl is on the case, and she's. She's out to rescue Linda, and she saves Linda's life when Linda's 
dying. And the only way she can do it is by merging her protoplasmic matrix body with Linda. And so they become like kind of one person. They share memory and they occupy the same body. And the whole sort of irony of it is is because Supergirl was basically created in a laboratory. Her whole struggle was, you know, who am I? What am I? Am I human? Do I have a soul? You know? And so she finally gets kind of a human soul and an identity. But her, she's damned, you know, herself damned. And so the story is kind of about like, well, can she redeem this life that she's taken up? And so she, she, you know, she has this sort of, uh, you know, ongoing conflict in herself between her identity that's Linda and her identity that's that's Supergirl. And, and Peter David's sort of famous for not being afraid to wrestle with religious themes in, in his comic books. And I mean, both the dark side of religion, he features a lot of cults and sort of, you know, a, a extremist, fundamentalist. I mean, he created the, the Sin Eater character that we talked about last week in connection with Spider-Man. Mm. But also he has a lot of positive clergymen and, and things in, in, in his story. And and Linda's mother is, is a devout Methodist, and she is even discerning a call to the ministry throughout the, the early issues of the series. So, I mean, on, on, in almost every episode the topic of religion comes up as, as it turns out when supergirl merged with linda she became you know this earth-born angel they call it because of her heroic sacrifice for an undeserving person where i mean it's, you know it's laid on a little thick the kind of christ imagery there <laughs> but um <laughs> so supergirl is a character that it has been written in a lot of different ways, and at least in this version, really explores a lot of theological topics about redemption and sacrifice and things like that. So, I, you know, and along with the the you know more recent versions of Supergirl, I, I definitely would recommend people taking a look at Peter David's version. The first real reboot of Supergirl as as Kara is. I think the 2004 version of her, which shows up in Superman, was it Batman Superman then or Superman it was Su Batman? Superman Batman then. There it is, yeah. That is really where the seeds start to get planted for some of what comes to fruition when they reboot her again in the new 52 in 2011. Mm -hmm. You get back to this, her coming to Earth, and, uh, you know, she has to learn English, she has to figure out what it means to be human. Um, and you also get this really sort of interesting interplay there between Superman and Batman. Uh, Superman so excited to finally have a relative, <laughs> you know. Finally, I've got somebody who is like me. And Batman, and so he's willing to trust, whereas Batman, of course, uh, ever, the, uh, ever the cynic, is uh, not so sure about her or about what's going on with her and so forth. And so, and they, they did a, um, one of the DC animated movies, I forget what it's called, Superman, Batman Apocalypse, I think. Yes, um, that's it. Yeah, but it, it, where they basically did that storyline, um, and it, it's, it's one of the better uh, DC animated movies I've seen. 
No, I haven't seen that. It's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty good. I will say this though, and this is one thing I I want to say in favor of the of the new CBS series is Supergirl is a is a wonderful and complex character, but as has so often happened in comics with female heroes and female characters, she is one of the ones that has been presented in the most sexually exploitative ways in terms of the way that she yeah. has been drawn over the years which is particularly unfortunate when you consider the fact that the base character is a teenager. Uh, um, and uh, I have to say, I do really like that 2004 story. Um, I enjoyed reading it, but they definitely draw her like an adult film star <laughs> and not yeah. like a teenage girl. Yeah. I, I was nervous about her on, on this series because thinking about the other Greg Berlanti series like Arrow and The Flash... You get female characters on those shows, and you could say, well, the, that's great. You have female heroes. You have uh, female characters who have agency and all these things. And you kind of go, well, yeah, that's true, but they're still kind of not that well-developed, and they're still sort of dressed like sexual, you know, like like uh, you know, the doctor on, uh, on uh, The Flash always shows up in a short skirt and high heels, and you're going, really? Um <laughs> And so I, I really appreciate that at least thus far they have resisted that temptation with Supergirl. They have her in uh, what I think is a really great uniform. You know, so far they have not gone there, and I hope that that continues. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad that they decided to not have the ridiculous mid-drift uh... costume (laughs) which you know one thing that was horrible about it it, it's that it it just seemed impractical it it seemed gratuitous show of skin but also it was just really poorly drawn what you guys uh unlike me both of you are are raising daughters now your daughters are very young but would you let your daughters watch this show would you hope that they would uh see a value in in um this version of the hero somebody they could relate to yeah i think i would i mean certainly when she's older than what she is now my daughter's only three and a half now and i think i would definitely wait till she was around 11 or so i think that's when the tv what the tv rating is is like 11 and up but you know i've always kind of tried to let her connect with some of the female superheroes and i think she has to a degree and um yeah i'd be I'd certainly let her. Yeah, I mean, uh, my my daughter's around the same. She's basically the same age as, as Father Kyle's daughter. She's three. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she doesn't watch a lot of adult television. <laughs> she watches basically little cartoons. And we don't – she watches about an hour of TV, <laughs> you know, a day or so. So I don't – I mean, I, I showed her the, the trailer when it came out just because I, I, I thought she – think it was fun and she really was pretty excited to see supergirl um (laughs) because we we she has super uh superman pajamas and and so you know we always say there's her supergirl pajamas that they they were hand-me-down she's and she likes to wear her or you know the big s on her on her pajamas yeah, I mean, I I I, th- I think this is a show that so far, I mean, we're we're two episodes in, is one that I wouldn't feel uncomfortable with, uh, uh, you know, showing to a, a young girl or or a young boy even. All three of us have been talking about this off air, 
and that is the fact that the Supergirl show has her name pronounced as Kara, and all of us have always said Kara, and I thought it was just like a weird thing until in the first episode they actually like made a big deal about it that like her boss right. calls her Kara and that's somehow wrong and so forth. So I don't know if it's just like I missed a memo somewhere along the line and that's the like the real way to pronounce her name or what. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, at least all three of us are in the same boat. So if we're wrong, we're wrong together. That's right. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that there is a lot more that you all have to say out there in Internet land about Supergirl, either about the show or the comic. And if you do, we would love to hear it. Uh, check us out on uh, Facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us at God and Comics. But for now, we will head into our final segment, and that is, of course... This or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? Okay, Father Kyle, take it away. All right. The first one is for Father Jonathan. In keeping with today's theme, Supergirl or Wonder Woman? Oh. Oh, man. Okay, so I have to say Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is is my my favorite superhero. So if, if if it came down to it, it would have to be Wonder Woman. But I will say that is a tough choice, and uh, I I do like Supergirl a lot. There is a moment in the New Fifty Two run of Supergirl where she and and Wonder Woman fight, and that was sort of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know who to root for? I didn't know who to root for. I was kind of rooting for the stupid crossover event that uh, uh, involved uh, both of them to end was what I was rooting for. Because um, that's about the point where the whole thing came off the rails. It was a great series until they started to pull that kind of junk. What was but, that, the whole doomsday? This? No, 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 although that was terrible too. No, this was before that. This was the hell on earth. <laughs> Hell on Earth thing. H oh, yeah. apostrophe L. Hell, who was... Right. Anyway, it's not even worth explaining. Don't don't buy that one. Um, <laughs> the first two volumes of... Or the first two trades, I think, of, of the New 52 Supergirl are really the best. Because that's where they're really kind of examining some of these things. And I, they've still got Mahmoud um, Azrar at that point uh, as the artist. All right, next one is for Father Matt. Christmas or Easter? <laughs> well, um, probably Christmas, if only because of, of all the, the kind of family and, and, and cultural associations um, that, uh, of Christmas. Uh, you know, it's just I, I, I love the Christmas season. Um, you know the the commercialization and the the war on Christmas and the war on the war on Christmas and everything aside, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's really a beautiful time of, of year. But that that being said, uh, I think especially um, since I you know since I've become an Episcopalian and even more so since I've been since I started studying uh, for the priesthood and, and been ordained as, as a priest, uh, the, the Easter season is, is also extremely special. And, 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 and I, I think as far as, uh, you know, a holy day more significant 
than than the Christmas holiday. But I, yeah, I, I, I really, I, I, I think I, I think I'm gonna have to say Christmas. Oh, it's a hard choice. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> All right, Father Jonathan. Next one is yours. Nutter butters or golden Oreos? Golden Oreos. Golden. Really. Oreos. Especially double stuffed golden Oreos. Okay. That's good stuff. Makes sense. It is good stuff. <laughs> Until the next day when I feel like I've, you know, been uh, punched in the stomach repeatedly. <laughs> the golden Oreo revenge. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Father Matt, the green hornet or the spirit? I, I think I'm going to say the spirit, although uh, I, I've been reading some of the um i've been reading the green hornet year one because matt wagner matt wagner has recently done them both for dynamite and they're both dynamite (laughs) they're both really well done but i you know what i wasn't quite as familiar with the green hornet's character i mean i i'd seen a bit of the old tv show but not even a whole lot of that so i mean i always sort of knew about the green hornet and thought he was cool I, you know, I like the little hornet mask that he wears, but uh, the spirit, I, 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 I think I would have to go go with. Although, who knows? Maybe, maybe my opinion will change after I get deeper into the hornet. Green, <laughs> Green hornet I, has a cooler car. Yes, that's true. He does. He does. I don't think the spirit really has a car. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've wanted to read that Green Hornet year one for a while and I haven't gotten to, but I started watching um, the old 60s TV show. In fact, you can get all of them on YouTube. There's an entire playlist of them and uh, I started watching them the other day. It was really cool to see how they were done by the same people who did the Batman 60s television show. So it has that same look and feel and the credits are written in the same way. And It's it's Bruce Lee, right? Isn't Cato played by Bruce Lee? Yeah, yeah, he is. All right, Father Jonathan, the Washington Wizards or the Philadelphia 76ers? Oh, the Washington Wizards. Come on. Come on. Yes. Well, I knew you would answer that, but I was just setting you up for all your Philadelphia friends there. Uh, Well, this is the thing. Philadelphia is a sports town. And they love their sports teams, with the exception of the 76ers. I have not I met a single person here who <laughs> no cares one really cares at all yet. about the 76ers, which is crazy to me because, like, the Sixers. I mean, they're they suck now, but they, <laughs> they but they have a long uh, history, and you know, Philadelphia basketball is a big. Like, I mean, Dr. J came from Philadelphia. You know, like, there's all that kind of stuff, but nobody cares. It's all about the the Eagles. The Eagles. Did you see the Eagles game? Right. Um, it's all about the Eagles and the Phillies and the Flyers. That's all they care about. Yeah, I think the last time anybody had any interest in the 76ers that I remember from growing up in that area was uh, was when uh, Allen Iverson was there. And, 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 and Mutombo. Yeah, Dikembe Mutombo, yeah. Now, I, you know, I, I met I met Dikembe Mutombo at, at Pizza Pizza on the main line. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I, I, w- I, was, I was waiting in line, and, and, and uh, the guy in back of me, I heard this, ah, can I have a buffalo chicken pizza? And, and I turned around <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Mutombo. <laughs> that, cool. that is, I'm sure, a spot-on impression of him. Yes. It sounded basically like that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Father Matt, 
Jason Todd, dead or alive? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know what? I I think the most compelling story about Jason Todd was was his death. So I'm going to say dead. I think that's the right answer. Did either of you guys call in? Back when that was the thing, you could call. No, in. you know, I uh, well, maybe I did. I think I may have. I remember being excited about that. Did you I'm pretty in, sure that do I. Do you remember if you called in for him to die or live? I called in for him to die. <laughs> I um. <laughs> I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember thinking that I didn't like. So there were two versions of Jason Todd. There was the one that came out in 1983 where he was a circus uh, acrobat like Dick Grayson, a redheaded circus acrobat who then dyed his hair black and became a no-name companion to Batman and then eventually became Robin. And I liked that version of Jason Todd because he was similar to Dick Grayson. There weren't that many discernible differences. But then when DC uh, rebooted after the year one event, um, I just thought he was kind of bratty and annoying and, I thought, well, it'd be kind of cool. Let Batman be alone for a while. All right. Uh, Jonathan, turkey or tofurkey? <laughs> um, turkey, although, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that I ever actually ate tofurkey, despite the fact that I was a vegetarian for uh, uh, however long that was, uh, 18 years, something like that, 20 years. Yeah. Well, yes, tofurkey is actually pretty good if if you uh, ever have a chance to try it. I enjoyed it when I was a vegetarian. I do like turkey. I eat a lot of turkey, although now apparently turkey is going to kill us. Why? Well, it's because if if you get lunch meat turkey. Lunch meat is, is, this was with the whole thing that bacon now causes cancer and red meat and lunch lunch meat also causes cancer. The World World Health Organization is full of (laughs) doo-doo on that stuff. (laughs) They failed to uh, they failed to take into account the kinds that don't have nitrates and nitrites in it. Um, well, they just made. And in all fairness, they were eating uh, turkey that had been dipped in cancer before they ate it. Sure, so that's right. <laughs> that kind of skewed the results. There you go. Moving on, Father Matt, DC Comics pre crisis or New Fifty Two. Oh, um, hmm. There's a chunk in the middle there, though, that... Oh, I know. Covered yeah, by neither one of those. These are the options, though. Hmm. Uh, I, uh, boy, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss. Um, well, uh, I mean, the pre-crisis is is full of a lot of weird and wacky stuff. There's probably more time to draw on. Uh, it's, it's you know it, it includes all the Silver Age and Golden Age GC characters, and the New Fifty Two era was was relatively brief in comparison. Although they also had a lot of uh, great stuff going on. I, I don't know. I'm gonna have to. I'll, I'll go with the pre crisis because uh, you know the pre crisis DC gave us Superman and Batman and Aquaman and mm-hmm. the Flash and the Green Lantern. So. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Good answer. And, I support that. And Supergirl. And um, Supergirl, of course. And yeah. uh, the, for a time, her flying horse. So Yes, and, and, and Streaky. Who and Streaky, we, right. the super cat. We yes. have not mentioned, yeah. Yes. Um, 
I wonder if Streaky will show up in the series. She, you know what? Even if it's not a super cat, she needs to have a cat. She probably yes. will. You know, that sounds like exactly the sort of Easter egg they would lay. So yes. I, yeah. I could tell Absolutely. Yeah. They need to do that. <laughs> and and the horse, too. And the and horse. The... <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Father Jonathan, Superman powers or the fewer powers that he now has? So basically full powered or reduced power as he currently exists. I'm confused about his, what do you mean by reduced powers? So right now, as he is in the current series where he has lost almost all of his powers and he's become quite vulnerable. Oh, this is where he's like wearing the uh, blue jeans and stuff and the t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) No. Oh, I would, I I would go with powers. I mean, that's yeah. just, like, ludicrous. I, I Although, uh, the the current Superman series, I think, is pretty good, but they're playing from before that happened, basically. Like, they're sort of going right. back and explaining it. Right. So. Yeah, they made a jump in action comics, right, where they, mm-hmm. where they put him in the sort of current position where he has almost no powers left, and then Superman comics went back and explained that. Right, yeah. And, I think there's something intriguing about him losing his powers, you know, as a brief thing. I do hope they bring him back, bring back his powers. Well, have they at least gotten rid of the stupid turtleneck? The stupid turtleneck? <laughs> he doesn't like yeah, the, the armor. Oh, oh my the, God. Yeah, they did so get rid of that. Stupid. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, you know what? I don't like the way that Superman looked in the new 52. Yeah, his I agree. Outfit, and then they made him, like, thin and, like... You know, he looked like he was French or something. He just <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he didn't, his, he didn't look like Superman. He looked like he, he was like French. He, I was, mean, why is he wearing a turtleneck? That is nothing, un-American. There is nothing less Superman than being French. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> is there any other no, like, it, ethnic group? There's you nothing guys wrong with being here? French. It's just that Superman trying to be French. That's right. all. It just alters his appearance. I mean, if I was to look at the Superman in both the New 52 and the current one, I wouldn't be able to easily identify him as Superman if it was just a headshot. Mm-hmm. I, it, it doesn't look like the sort of iconic Superman. So, yeah, I have some issues with that. I, I bet you Cyborg Superman is secretly French. <laughs> Why do you say but that? He, I don't know. He, he, makes, up, he makes up for it from being partly Cyborg. Ah, well, <laughs> there is that. Last one, Father Matt, Romans or James? Romans or James? Um, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna have to say Romans. Romans. I mean, James is a is a, is a great book. Romans is sort of the um, you know the Paul's magnum opus. You know, yes. it's just so theologically rich. Uh, yeah, Romans. And that would be the correct answer. Well, only only a heretic would pose those two against each other. Just so That's you know. right. And now I've identified myself as the heretic. That's now, right. I like James. James is a very good book. I fully stand behind James. It's, not, just... it's not the epistle of Straw. <laughs> well, I think Luther's misunderstood on that point because <laughs> Straw had value in those days. It just didn't have the utmost value. Was I, I don't point. know how a guy who uh, consistently said every angry thought that came into his head could be misunderstood. That just seems so unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, that's all I have, gentlemen. Well, and that's all we have on this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to listen to the show again, or if you'd like to check out links to some of the uh, rad content that we had in today's show, you should check out GodAndComics.com. We put lots of good stuff up there, so please take a look at that. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind giving the show a rating and a review, we would be so thankful for that. It helps other people to find the podcast. The theme music for our show is done by Father Paul Wheatley. Hopefully you are banging your head to it right this moment. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. See you next time. Up, up, and away.